Greetings, this is Kurt. Here we continue with the third and largest portion of Book One, Enchanter's Lot. If this is your first visit to the Harkin Theater, we recommend you step back and find the first episode of Prelude, The Hostage Prince. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, share, and follow on your favorite platform. We'd like to hear from you. Simply send comments, compliments, and questions to our email. If you care to be a benefactor and help in keeping these complex productions coming, it's very easy. Just buy me a coffee via the website coffee.com listed with the description of each episode. And thank you truly for listening. Step through the gateway and enter the universe of the Harkin Theater. This is episode 16. The Harkin Theater presents the sound plays of... A Bridge of Doom by Kurt Paul Hotelling. Book One, Part Three, Enchanter's Lot. so pleasant to rub elbows with people who don't dote on me in hopes of winning favor at my father's royal court. Around them, the tavern was moderately busy with serving supper to half a score of townsfolk and travelers, the rich smells of roasting meat and bread rising to the rafters. The low noise would subside regularly when a minstrel sat before one of the hearths and strummed a tune upon his lute, occasionally a Chania noticed how attentive Gamble was in the music and joined in his deliberate applause and coin tossing for the fellow as opposed to the more subdued noises made by most of the other patrons. After finishing a fair portion of their meal, Chania decided to commence her discussion. At the moment, 
were nothing more than two separate people and their friends going in the same direction. Agreed. And from this statement, I presume you desire more solid ground upon which our relationship can be nurtured before we undertake this dangerous hunt. Pleased with his eloquence, she decided she liked him. Despite Derwan's fears, whatever they are. And nodded with a smile. Precisely. And I think the best thing we can do is share what we feel are the strengths of our companions. I would feel more comfortable having some background on your people before we head out tomorrow, as I'm sure you would where my people are concerned. Very well. He took another bite of bread. Tell me about Derwan. There's something different about him that I can't quite figure. (laughs) That's interesting. He says the same thing about you. He has psychic sight. His eyes lit up with interest. A psychic warrior. Hmm. This explained the strange looks he was getting from the fellow. With the effect of the crystal, Gawan had no doubt his aura was unusual. At the same time, he decided Derwan's coarseness was rooted in something other than his psychic ability. Aside from this, what do you know about him? A fair amount. When Sir Giberon joined us, a night in my group, the two of them talked a lot about each other. Several riads passed, Doron was a cleric of the ancients. He left the Brotherhood in revolt after accusing the high priest of defiling the scriptures. Gawan stopped in Minchu and looked at her with wide-eyed dread. One did not go public in defying the high priests unless you wanted to find your head separated from your neck. He says he discovered many deceptions and deliberate falsehoods resulting from their altering the translation of the holy writings, thus he believes they sought to take control of the realms from your king by invoking religious decrees that superseded and undermined the king's law. His opinion of the dark-haired warrior went up several notches. The fact of the high priests seeking to control the masses was well known among freethinkers, but never discussed outside their own circles, partly out of respect for others' beliefs, partly out of fear for being persecuted. Those who openly defied their directives keenly felt the priests' power within the law. There had been talk at one time on the young continent of banishing all known freethinkers to Fellstar and the territory surrounding Hopetown's anchor in the old realms, thereby diminishing their influence on citizens living under direct protection of the crown. Lately, however, there was quite a religious commotion stirring on the young continent. King Kajor was a freethinker, unlike all his predecessors, and he exercised a firm hand over the high priests, lessening their effect on the lawgivers and the house of lords who counseled the king, silently offering sincere hope for his majesty's continuing success in maintaining control over his zealous priests. Gawan also found interest in the prospect of keeping company with such an outwardly strong-willed individual as Derwan. He was excommunicated, marked an agent of the Dark One, and damned for ever showing his face to a follower of the Ancients. They were going to brand his forehead in order that others would know of his officially proclaimed anathema, but he escaped before they could do it and found passage to Longspar.
Again, Gaewon stopped, this time with a spoonful partway up from his bowl. Long spar. The natives of this northeastern coastal peninsula were vicious pirates, infamous for their ferocity at sea and on the battlefield. That's where he learned his warrior skills. She helped herself to more of her supper and suppressed a smile at Gaewon's amazement. She was pleased to have found a companion that impressed him so. Though I'm not in competition with the Enchanter and his friends by any means, I like to think my group and I are perhaps better suited for the mage hunt tomorrow. Hmm. What of this Sir Giberon? Knights were a rarity in Felstar, most staying in close proximity to the king on the young continent. I'm not too sure, for I do not understand matters within the circle of freethinkers. In fact, I never heard of them before I started my journeys outside Grammont. Hey, what? He raised an eyebrow. Aren't elves free thinkers? And if not, what makes Chavian and possibly her kingdom different? Gibran says he is a knight in the Order of the Blue Star, a secret brotherhood that seeks to protect all free thinkers from persecution. Apparently, free thinkers in your kingdom are considered by some to be heretics? She pushed aside her nearly empty bowl, then looked questioningly at the gay one who, though interested in Gibberon, shrugged helplessly, not caring to discuss the intricacies of the religious politics. This is why he and Derwan seem to get along so well, I suppose. Freethinkers are different, that's all. Some people are prejudiced against others who are different, just as many men harbor intolerance toward elves. She nodded understanding, eyes wandering back and forth as she took this in. Gibberon shared with me a secret of his order. He leaned toward her obligingly. Once initiated as a knight in the Order of the Blue Star, one is given powers of healing. Not unfamiliar with this unusual ability, for he had some limited powers for allaying discomfort from an injury until such could be properly treated. Gaewon nodded passively. A blessing for you, to be sure. Disappointed in his lack of astonishment. I believe such a rare gift to be nothing less than a miracle of the gods. I wonder just what sort of abilities he might possess that make healing powers commonplace to him. And what do you have that gives you the confidence to lead your group? Taken aback at the very question she was going to ask him, she fell silent for a moment and reoriented her thoughts. Aside from being heir to her father's throne, she really didn't have a direct answer. Not wanting to seem infirm, she resorted to her inbred arrogance. I will the sword of my father, King of Grammont, and I'm a practicing mage of the minor disciplines. She doesn't know. With respect, he lifted his chin slightly. At least she possesses fortitude. For how many princesses had been given their father's sword? An idea flickered in his mind. A child of royalty would certainly enjoy the benefit of rare magic weapons. Hmm. Do you have any charmed or magic weapons among your group? Chania weighed the pros and cons of answering truthfully, then decided to carry through with her intentions. My personal guard, Lazar, 
carries a charmed sword of my royal ancestors, an inheritance that has been in service to the crown for over three sun cycles. As to the extent of its magic, I'm not sure, but I do know it has an ever-present keen edge that never needs sharpening. Gaywan sat back, done with his supper. So, we have you, Durwan, Sir Giberon, and Lazar. And Bryn. Bryn? A half-elfin woman friend from Grammont who has to join me on my journeys. She was almost apologetic, not sure if he might find offense to her having a half-blood in her group, despite the fact she and Bryn had been close friends since her mage training. She, too, is a practicing minor mage. Hmm. All right. You, Durwan, Giberon, Lazar, and Bryn, plus Ablui, Flaina, Clough, Thasgar, Gon, and myself. Eleven. This was working out better than he expected. With myself, you, and Bryn, with spellcasting ability along with our accomplished fighters, we just might succeed this time. Is this Cauron really that potent an adversary? Devious as a devil. He smiled mirthlessly. Do not underestimate him. That little trap of his you stepped through on the road was idle play for him, probably, in his search for ways to harass me. What earns you his special attention? He wasn't ready to share knowledge of his crystal. Not yet, anyway. Revenge for seeking him out in the first place and spoiling some nasty plans he had laid. And what do you have that made you think you could overpower him the first time? She was glad to turn the conversation around and perhaps discover some of his strengths, if not his weaknesses. Amused with her verbal aggressiveness, he crossed arms comfortably over his chest. The talents of my friends as a whole, plus a need for money. The price on Calron's head is substantial. She smirked, familiar with his method of misdirection. You didn't answer my question. What made you think you could overpower him? Overconfidence. Surprised at his honesty, especially with himself, she quickly reassessed her opinion of him. Self-awareness makes for a powerful individual. And what of your friends? Clough, whom you've met, is Swordsman Superlative. Thasgar and Gon are our bowmen, and my consort, Flaina, is Bowwoman Superlative. She nodded to herself again, taking all this in, especially the high titles. A ranking of Superlative is not to be taken lightly or disregarded. What of magic or charmed weapons? My second, Clough, wields a power sword named Infinity. I carry the matching dagger. Allow me to explain these. The common magic weapon stays resilient and keeps a sharp edge, except when faced with a mage's mischarmer or a more powerful weapon. The power sword and dagger draw their energy from the wielder. Sounds more like a cursed weapon, stealing the user's life energy. Not at all. Unlike a consumption blade, as you've described, these weapons act as extensions of the user, a manifestation of their strength and spirit. Very few people can even begin to use such a weapon because they have no idea how to relate to it. All right, I'm intrigued. What can Clough do with this power sword? 
Gaewon mused over his answer, not wanting to reveal too much. I've seen him strike a target more than sixty paces away without the sword ever leaving his hand. Sixty paces? She looked stunned. This I'll have to see for myself. The after-supper suite was brought to their table at this point. At the same time, a loud group of miners entered the tavern and gathered at the bar with calls for ale. Their rowdiness served to change the mood of the great room as the minstrel started singing a popular drinking song, encouraging others to join in. Gaewon and Chania sat in relative silence at their table along the windowed wall and munched on their sweet bakes, calmly observing the festivity. Once having gotten their drinks, the new arrivals found benches and seats and friends, then tossed coins at the minstrel and called for more songs. Gaewon was dipping his second sweet bake, a thin square of unleavened dough with a faint taste of honey, into the dish of marmalade, a special of the tavern's owner at certain times of the riad, when he noticed Chania regarding him with an inscrutable gaze. Speak your mind, princess. That is why we're here, together. He watched her brown eyes with interest as she cogitated a reply. I find you very intelligent and perceptive, so I won't mince words. She clasped her hands before her on the table. I want to know all I can about you, Enchanter. I sense many powerful secrets. I feel that in knowing these, I can quell any doubts about you that may arise among my companions during our journey. For the first time, she saw his ever-present complacency give way to disquiet, one arm dropping to his side, while his other hand started tapping on the table, his bright blue eyes shifting away from hers. Not wanting him to be uncomfortable with her request, she reached across to touch his drumming fingers. I know this is impertinent of me, considering that we've only just met. But I humbly ask admittance to your secrets. Gaewon's mind was a whirl with anxiety as he brooded over the ramifications of bringing her into his confidences, especially so soon. To deny her request was to lay the first stone in a wall that would come between their alliance and any possible friendship. And yet, can I afford to be so open? Realizing fear was almost always the force behind mistrust, he decided that the only reason for not sharing secrets was that someone might try to use those secrets against you. Reaching out with his sixth sense and reading her as best as he could, he found sincerity. After all, she is the stranger here. Thus, she seeks things with which to make herself familiar. Chania, are you prepared to shoulder the responsibility? As with anyone, secrets exist because of their potency, both for the benefit and the detriment of their possessor. I will tender them as mine own. He searched her expression for a moment. I will hold you to that, princess. You don't want to hazard my anger. She felt his unspoken warning shine eyes away for an instant. He decided to meet her bold question with a bold answer. 
Not long past, I suffered a deathly illness resulting from wounds I sustained in a fight with a vicious opponent. I survived the illness, obviously, but now suffer being a philoscanthrope, a shape-changer. For perhaps two heartbeats, she stared at him with her jaw dropping, and he wondered if he hadn't said too much. But to his astonishment, she lit up with excitement. Really? He frowned with disbelief. You aren't disturbed at the prospect of company with me? I've read all I could about shape changers and have always wanted to meet one. I'm sure your lady friend finds it very, mm, arousing? She smiled provocatively, then quickly checked the warming in her own body as a splinter of her imagination flew wild for an instant. Gaywan, my fellow. With a firm hand, Marshal Garnett squeezed Gaywan's shoulder. How pleasant to see you with the princess. But don't let me interrupt your dinner with such a lovely woman. Too late. But sit down and have a sweet bake anyway. At his invitation, Garnet grabbed a nearby chair, plunked down, then hooked his thumb on the edge of his tabard and tossed it around his shoulder while peering cheerily at them both. And what are you so pleased about? Gawain knew exactly what was on his mind. Garnet reached for a sweet bake and dipped it into the marmalade, then grinned. I think you know, Gawain. Aye, I do. And how come you to know? He popped the whole square into his mouth and chewed it with obvious enjoyment. A strong group heading southwest. Just how public is this tidbit of yours? Gawain glanced accusingly at Chania, who took a hasty sip of her drink. I was in the royal post this morning reviewing his map of the old realms. She clearly felt awkward about Garnet's knowledge of their plans. Gawain reassured her with a resigned shake of his head. Don't feel bad, princess. Garnet would have found out by talking to the dogs in the street. The marshal winked gleefully at Chania. Why are you so happy about us going southwest? He's short on scouts, and Calron's on the top of his list, too. And you want us to send word back of any robbers, grumpy bears, ugly frogs? Very good, Gaywan. Your mind reading is working very well, I see. He raised a suspicious eyebrow and glanced around. Uh, where's Plana? With Clough grooming our horses, she'll be joining us soon. Very good. Just making sure you aren't kindling another lady to make a set. <laughs> <laughs> he shrugged off Gaywan's playful punch at his shoulder and rose from the table while licking his fingers clean and fastidiously brushing crumbs out of his bushy red beard. Time for me to move along. I've got a wife and a little girl and a supper waiting for me at home. Don't stay away too long, my friend. With a short salute to Gaywan and a courtly nod to Chania, he headed toward the doors. Does he know you're a shape-changer? Aye, that's how much I trust him. And now you. Another shadow fell across the table, and he looked up to see an unfamiliar man of medium height, wearing miner's livery and helm, puffing a short pipe and glaring angrily at him. Chania recognized him from the morning's meeting with Thasgar and Gan. She touched Gawain's arm to warn him, but he ignored it. Hmm. Uh, looking for someone? I, you, 
He responded with the deliberateness of too much ale, gnawing his pipe and sliding it back and forth across stained lips. Two younger miners stepped up behind him and stared belligerently at Gaywan. What do you want? Get out of my drinking hole now! Gaywan pretended mild befuddlement and looked at the chair he was sitting in. <laughs> I'm not in a hole, dear fellow. I'm on a chair. This made the miner blink and frown with confusion. Now, what seems to be the problem? Have I trampled on your rocks or something? Chania observed motion behind the miner's back out of Gaywan's line of sight as he accepted something from one of his cohorts, but she couldn't see what it was. Stealing me good boys and turning them again me, drinking in me whole, sobering up all the good-looking women. He cast a crude glance at the princess who gazed back icily. Unnerved by the force of her mute defiance, he returned his attention to Gaywan. The enchanter flashed a disarming smile and wheeled at his charm. Here, my fellow, this place is for all of us. Sit and drink with me. He grabbed the chair Garnett had occupied and slid it out with an inviting gesture. The miner wavered between anger and confusion, indecisive in his ale-saturated stupor, but was then encouraged by a shove from one of his conspirators. In the next instant, he sprang forward with a flash of steel in his hand, grabbed Gaywan by the hair, and pressed a dirk's blade against his throat. Chania jumped from her chair, already in her hand, but found she was powerless to intervene. Don't do this, and I won't cut you too bad. He leaned his weight into his captive. His cohorts turned with forced laughs and deliberately blocked any view of the assault from the rest of the great room. The merry hubbub of the small crowd continued uninterrupted. Chania remained very still, keenly aware that any wrong move or call for help might result in serious injury to Gaylon before anything could be done. Chilling the marshal. Charming with the women. We got us a real sweet boy. You're probably one of them sorcerers that make everybody sick in the winter. He moved his face very close. I just want you to come outside with me, boys, so I can slit your throat and slick me boots with your blood. In that moment, Chania saw the spark of contained fury color Galen's eyes, and she feared, suddenly, for the miner and his drunken rage. Did you see? Did you see? 
Do you see? He pointed his blade at Gawan, who simply appeared amused, all bestial fury absent. He's cursed! All right, Kaffir. The marshal's voice filled the room with calm, like a warm ocean wave, as he bent Kaffir's offending arm around behind his back. The dirk clattered to the floor. You've had more than enough ale for this season. It's time our lockup had a nice long visit from you. He nodded with reassurance at Gawan. The miner pointed helplessly as Garnet jerked him around and pushed him through the tables toward the door. Let put your blade hand to good use, peeling frotums for the kitchen. One of the two miners on the floor looked around with embarrassment, got up, helped his injured friend to his feet, and retreated sheepishly out the door after their leader. With the situation well in hand, the tavern eased back into jollity, everyone returning to his or her drinks, suppers, and companions. Very well handled, Enchanter. Chania inclined her head regally. Gawan merely acknowledged with a nod as he surveyed the great room for any other miners, perplexed at why he would be the target of this particular one. Perceiving his bewilderment, Chania came to his rescue. This morning, despite their adamant refusal, Kaffir insisted Thasgar and Gon come back and work in his mine. He got abusive, and they were forced to convince him of their loyalty to you. She decided to turn their conversation back to the earlier subject. You mentioned you carried the matching dagger to Clough's power sword. May I see it? Unbothered by the request, he smoothly slid the blade free of its sheath and placed it on the table between their empty bowls. The tavern's lamplight reflected dully off its glazed surface. May I hold it? Be my guest. He suppressed a grin, aware of what she sought. Lifting the weapon gingerly, then gripping the hilt firmly, she tried to sense the power, or magic, but felt nothing out of the ordinary. Baffled, she switched it from hand to hand as if testing its weight. Guessing it might respond to focused intent, she concentrated on it for a moment, before realizing she had no idea what powers it possessed, if any. She appeased her disappointment by admiring the chaste hilt and feeling the blade's edge. Tis a pretty weapon. Twill respond only to me, Chania. How can this be? Certainly you did not happen across a dagger made for thee and none other. Of course not. This weapon has been bonded to me by a procedure taught within the secret circles of the Freethinkers. She decided to do some serious studying of this Freethinker religion. As each person born into this world has a star sign, as translated by the psychics, a special stone, translated differently by the psychics and the freethinkers, so too are we each blessed by certain herbs, flowers, or plants tied to the very hour of our birth. Through a bonding ceremony in which one uses all these elements mixed with fire and water, the wielder learns the blade's secret name, that allows discovery of the powers within. 
The dagger you hold has no actual abilities except that of being a channel for my energies. Wondering if he hadn't said too much, not knowing her level of understanding, to his surprise, she had followed every word. All right. This is a tool for channeling mystic energies. What if you lose this dagger? Could someone else benefit from its ability? <laughs> if you want my dagger, Chania, you'll have to kill me. Until the user has translated... Pardon me. What do you mean by translated? You call it death. Freethinkers know it as when soul moves from the body to the inner planes, thus translating between worlds. Interesting. Until the user dies, the dagger's mystic ability remains unreachable by anyone. And if I were to lose it, the bond we share would bring it back to me eventually, one way or another. I see. She gave it back to him, hilt first. Please don't think me a prospecting thief by asking. <laughs> of course not. When she stared suddenly at his belt as he went to slip the blade back into its sheath, he stopped. What is it? She blinked and shook her head as if to clear some fog out of her eyes. Did that sheath come with your dagger? Why, no. He glanced at the leather and metal-trimmed sheathing. It's very old. An antique of some sort. I was told by the trader from whom I purchased it, though I've never heard a strip of sewn leather with tin reinforcement called a valuable antique before. I figured it was just a ruse to raise the price, but I liked it anyway and bought it. He inspected it briefly, but saw nothing unusual. Is there something wrong? Not wrong, no. Just an irritatingly familiar line of runes stitched on it. He had thought the stitching just ornamentation. It translates, Fashioned by the true hands at Geroth's Symporium of the Floating City. Oh, really? His eyebrows went up as he studied the runes curiously. I thought the Floating City was a myth. So did I, until I found three charmed silver chalices in Grammont with the same script engraved upon them. And just where is this city believed to exist? I have an old map, dating back to before the Holocaust, that shows it to be on a great lake far north of what would now be the Wastelands. Hmm. Gawon wondered if the Athenium Vault might have some information about it. Does this place have a name other than Floating City? The inscription on my map has faded, but I can still make out Floating City of the L. The last word totally gone. And from your interest, I presume this is your eventual destination during your journeys away from Grammont. Yes, it is. A pair of slender hands came around from behind Gawan and covered his eyes. A kiss for the man, if he can determine the fair lady. <laughs> you can't have hands like these, Clough, unless you're Flaina. He reached around and pulled the half-elf into his lap and was rewarded with a kiss. Mmm, you taste sweet. He gestured to the last sweet bag on the table. She snatched it up eagerly and dipped into the marmalade, then noticed Chania observing her with round-eyed interest and amusement. Oh, pardon me. She realized this was the princess about which Clough had been telling her. I didn't mean to interrupt. 
Quite all right, Flana. Chania smiled with a queen's grace. We are through with matters. She was glad she hadn't said anything in the way of her embarrassment concerning her half-elfin friend, Bryn, as it was obvious from Gawan's company of friends, dwarf, elf, half-elf, that he harbored no prejudices. It's time for a slumber in the last bed I'll see for a good while. A mischievous gleam twinkled in Flaina's hazel eyes as she turned around in Gawan's lap to whisper something in his ear. Chania watched with cloaked envy. Her station as royalty frequently denied her the companionship she longed for. <clears throat> I concur. We should retire early, seeing as we plan to be on the road by mid-morning. Clough, meanwhile, perceived Chania's hidden despondency and offered a balm for her loneliness, strolling around to her side and offering his arm. May I escort you to your lodgings? She flashed her brightest smile, glad that even this far away from home, there were gentle elves. A handsome offer, Clough. She clasped a hand around his forearm and rose from her seat. I'll pay for supper, Chania. Gawan absently waved away Flaina's whispered insistencies. No need, my fellow. I did you the favor, seeing as you might have forgotten with Flaina in your lap. Gawan perched hands on his hips. Really, Clough, to think anything could affect my memory. He began to stand as if he had forgotten Flaina was sitting on his lap, <laughs> then simultaneously slid arms neatly around her back and legs and lifted her with him. <laughs> He hugged her close, returning her affectionate nuzzles. Until the dawn, Enchanter. Chania allowed Clough to escort her away. How about a stroll outside, love? Delighted. She slid from his arms, took his hand, and went with him out the doors, leaving behind the music and merriment of the tavern's great Sound effects and original provided by Free Sound.